It's me, JB, your co-host of Gutter Boys. I'm with my co-host, Cam Del Rosario. Cam, how are you doing today? What's up? I'm good. Hope you guys are enjoying that interview that we did with Katrina so far. The second half is going to be at the back end of this episode. Uh, Before we do that, though, I figured now would be a good time to kind of talk a little bit about comic shops, specifically uh, our past experiences with them and our current experiences with them, if at all, I guess. Anyway, uh, Cam, you want to take it away from me right now so that I can stop talking into this microphone? <laughs> well, are you, how often do you go to the comic shop? Like, I go every week still, every Wednesday. Yeah, well, um, you do pickups. You do the weekly Wednesday pickups, right? Yeah, it's like I just go on my lunch break at work. I, I, it's just an experience that I've, you know, kind of done off and on throughout my whole life. At this point now, I guess more than not, um, I usually just kind of go in and look at the wall and if something looks cool, I'll get it. And then I'll look at back issue bins and, you know, the graphic novels that got sold to them because the used stuff's where it's at usually. Um, but yeah, no, I just like the experience. So I go every week when you go, are you, since you're rarely going now, are you going and looking for something or are you just kind of wandering in? Is it random? Is like premeditated when you go? Mm, not really. If I'm ever going to a comic shop nowadays, it's either because I have a friend that's um, doing some kind of event, mm-hmm. like debuting a book or whatever, or doing a signing, or if it's people that are coming from out of town and they want to hit up those shops. Um, but outside of that, no, I, I try to... Um, well, it's not that I try. It's mostly that I just... <laughs> uh, I'm broke. <laughs> I'm broke. And I also end up spending way more than I probably should, especially when I go to Quimby's, oh, which yeah. I know you're, you're kind of familiar with at this point. But um, no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm what you would call a, a bad comic reader in that I don't actively go to shops. I don't actively do the weekly pickups. I don't actively purchase new books or any, any of that. I'm, I mean, I don't, I think I've, we've mentioned this before. I mostly just read stuff that my friends are releasing. Right, I right. Even usually... I can get that stuff in person at an event or if we're hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, was there, yeah, I don't know. Was there ever a period where you actually, like, you know, went on a regular basis, like when you were younger or anything like that? Not really. Um, well, I would say the only point where I was actively doing pickups was at some point in 2010 for, like, maybe four months and that was only because that legitimately the only reason i was doing that is because i had nothing better to do with my time (laughs) Um, i was just like depressed and bored and had nothing to do i was in i was i ended up moving back into lakeland and uh had to i was living with my parents again for a short time Uh so you know naturally if you live with your parents and you're in your 20s you clearly go and buy comics um on a weekly basis because you've just given up on life you gotta escape man um yeah, yeah. So I, I was reading what was coming out then. Was that like New Fifty Two? Was that kind of no, kicking? No, then? I wasn't into that. Okay. No, no. I, I was. I think the things that stood out were the. Oh, okay. So the X Force run with I forget the team that was even working on it. Um, it was the one about the Apocalypse clone or whatever, and he was like just a kid, and the X Force team. It was like 
Wolverine, Deadpool. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. It was War- Wolverine, Deadpool. What's that guy's name from the new X-Men run by Grant Morrison? The French guy. Oh, shit. What is that guy's name? Um, He's like kind of popular now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, uh, Archangel. A couple others. I mean, it wasn't like an exceptional book. I thought the art was good and I thought the story was very straightforward and, yeah. and had a very quick pace to it. I think the Marvel Max Deadpool series was running at that time, too. And I was picking that was up. That, that one was David Lapham. Uh, maybe. I think David Lapham was writing that because I remember getting that um, just because I'm a huge fan of that guy from Stray Bullets. Um, were you going to the shop that Katrina works in? Because you said you were in Lakeland. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that was back when um, our buddy Ed uh, E.T. was was the manager. Now he's like regional manager, I believe. Oh, OK. Um, yeah. So I was going in. I'm picking up those. I'm freaking, there was something else. Oh, that was when Batman Inc. was coming out, oh, too. Oh, dude, like, yeah. The first bulk of, like, when um, when Quietly was still on mm-hmm. the book for about, what, like four or five issues? Right. And then, uh, what's his name? Um, who picked it up after? He basically... It was Cameron Stewart, right? No, no. It was a different artist that got picked up because he was basically a Quietly cl- clone. Um, I want to say it was, like, Nick something or other. Hmm. That whole like run that Morrison had was amazing. I still have that like in trades and floppies because, uh, you know, I've got the whole run between those types of books because it was just incredible. Even uh, that Frank Quitely run on Batman and Robin when uh, Bruce was dead. That shit That's was what awesome. it was. That's what it was. It was Batman and Robin, not Batman Inc. I didn't catch all of Batman Inc. because um, that was the tail end of that. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Batman through time thing where he dies or some oh shit yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he yeah, he, the six Batman and they run. He runs through time and there's like Caveman Batman and twenties Noir Batman. That shit was wild. Yeah, it was fun. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't really. I, I it wasn't exactly anything I was too you know super into. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that stands out in my mind is really those quietly issues oh yeah yeah for sure he did the covers like for the first like year year and a half of that book though so even though he wasn't doing the interiors he was doing some great covers there was that one where that villain flamingo and he like ripped uh prince's purple rain like with the bike oh yeah yeah that shit was so awesome that was really good there was also a spider-man story about um like a little baby and like all the villains were trying to get the baby, Spider <laughs> Spider Man had to save the baby because he's a good guy. Oh. He's doing superhero things, you know, real in in New York City, New York City. Yeah, he's a real real hero in New York. He's a real New Yorker from Queens, and um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was fine. I don't. There was nothing really that just stood out. Um, it was mm-hmm. all pretty like relatively. I don't want to say mediocre, but just like baseline. It was just, just like, yeah, fine. It was fine. Like, right. yeah. nothing absolutely terrible, but also nothing completely, like, mind-numbingly memorable. Yeah, I feel like that's just, like, how DC and Marvel are now. It's just pretty fine, you know? Like, you know these characters, so you're going to relate to them Actually, on you know what? a surface level, but yeah, go ahead. I, oh, sorry, I was going to say, there was one thing that stuck out, and I think that was when... Um, that was during the Marvel, what is that, Secret? No, not Secret Wars. What was that? Um, Dark Reign. It was a Dark Reign storyline that was happening. And I didn't give a shit about Dark Reign. Except, well, I'll take that back. I thought the writing for Green Goblin was pretty cool because they actually made him a pretty unique villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I really, what really stood out is when they killed Punisher, and then that led into the uh, Tony Moore run with uh, Frankencastle. And that to this day is like my favorite kind of like mainstream Marvel title that they've done in the last, I don't know, 15 years probably. Did you talk about Frankencastle? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dude, did you, do you know Connor Williamson? Not known personally, but have you seen his work? He did that Antigon book for Koyama? No, I'm okay. pretty sure the only um, I'm pretty sure the only Koyama book I've ever owned is uh, Ben Sears books. Oh, okay. And um, I actually haven't even read those yet. They've just been sitting in a stack. A <laughs> <laughs> bunch of other books that I have not read yet. So I will get well, to them. Antigon was like one of my favorite books from I don't know if it was 2017. I think it was 2017, but it was it's an incredible book. But what uh, that his art style is like, you know, super like, you know, unique. But he ended up doing a Marvel Punisher story that was gnarly as fuck and like mm. one of those little Punisher one shots. But uh, yeah, just somebody from indie comics, I guess, getting into a Punisher story. So that was kind of crazy. But um, yeah, like, well, so when you're going to a shop, though, um, what do you like to see? Are you a person that likes the back issue bin? Or are you, uh, you know, looking through new stuff? What do, what do you like to see in a store? Yeah, I, I want to say that I'm more of a back issue guy if I am going to be going and actively digging through stuff. Mm-hmm. I especially want to look at, like, uh, sort of the, I don't know what to call it, like, the, because it's not garbage. It's just, like, stuff that people don't actively look out for. But I like a lot of the 80s into the early 90s, like, uh, weirdo superhero books or just stuff that just, you know, had a super short run. Like Eclipso. <laughs> kind of, yeah, <laughs> yeah like yeah. running on that line of just like so bizarre and out there. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of that stuff that came out after the Ninja Turtle boom with the black and white comics. Like some so much of that stuff is really, really wild. And I love running into stuff that I have never seen or heard before in, in a long box and just like, you know, finding stuff that is just really out there and of course you're never going to see it outside of those situations or if it's somebody like you know jim rugg that's like actively plugging those books because he's like one of those guys that also digs through those types of boxes so yeah that stuff's really cool um i personally for me a comic shop needs to have like the the shop has to be presentable in the same way as like any retail store has to be presentable Mm mm-hmm Right. And it also has to be as welcoming as any retail store. You right. Know, I, I feel like because when I was a kid, there was a shop called um, Fan- Fantasy Factory. And, uh, you know, they, they had... Did Rob Deerdeck own it? I have no idea who that is. <laughs> the skater. He had an MTV show called Fantasy Factory. Oh, no, no, no. These people yeah. were not cool. I can tell you that much. No. Right. <laughs> no <yeah>. um, <laughs> they, it was like always poorly lit. Like it was like weirdly dark. It was always dusty and mm-hmm. dank and like it was like the the employees never did anything. It was only just like these two dumpy old dudes. Uh well, they weren't even that old. They were probably at the time in their thirties, but they were just like schlubby guys that just didn't do anything. They would just sit yeah. there and like talk about some fucking thing about Warhammer or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> and, um, but they, you know, they weren't really, they weren't actively trying to sell anything or get new customers or any of that shit. Uh, it was very much the stereotypical comic shop, right? Like the thing mm-hmm. that I think is part responsible for the downturn in the market. Like people realize that it, um, you can't really just depend on these titles to sell themselves. You also have to like try and actively, uh, sell you know you have to be a salesperson but you also have to like be a welcoming space to new customers 
because you're right. If right. you're only just selling to the same 30 people that eventually those people are going to either move or age out. And then what? What are you going to do after that? And you're kind of screwed. And that's what happened with Fantasy Factory. That place closed up like probably 15 years later after that. As our customer base died, the business did, you know, just because like everybody got old, moved on, and then they didn't welcome a new market. So you kind of just get swallowed up. Yeah, basically. Um, And uh, yeah, so I I like and I think you're seeing this more now with more comic shops is that they are Mm -hmm. trying to develop a better relationship with their employee or sorry, a better relationship with their customers uh, being kind of more welcoming Mm -hmm. and and, uh, receptive to that kind of thing. And just like running it like a store. Like, I don't know, like this isn't your room in your mom's basement. You know, like this is like a business. Right, right. Well, I think doesn't Diamond like secret shop places now? Oh, I don't know. Do they? I haven't heard of that. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure that like Diamond like will send representatives to like shops now, like kind of like any other retail. Like, I don't know. Have you worked in retail? Do you know what a secret shopper is? Yeah. yeah, Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, So like uh, they'll like ask for like let's say Batman number 33 comes out next week. They'll go in on a fucking Tuesday and be like, Hey, do you have, you know, Batman 32? And if you sell it to them, because like technically retailers get their books on Monday or Tuesdays, you know, they, they're just not able to be sold till Wednesday. But if you sell it to them, like diamonds, like, fuck you, we know you did that. And it's like, yeah, they have a secret shopper program. I'm pretty sure from what I've read. Yeah, but that, I mean, that to me sounds like they're just trying to stop people from uh, selling the book before it has the market date. But also, I think, like, there's, like, other parts of the report card um, where, you know, it's, like, cleanliness of the store. Did you get greeted like a traditional secret shopper thing? So maybe it's forcing comic stores to be more on their toes because Diamond's the only game in town. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe. That's speculation, you know. Um, But, yeah, I mean... I don't know, man, like, because, you know, comic stores are like my favorite thing to visit. Every time I'm in another town, I just pull up Google and uh, I look up the closest comic store. And usually you can find like a few, you know, every big city has like a handful. And it's crazy because like no comic store is really like another, even like, you know, just from the layout of it. Like they all have books, of course, but like I've never really been in a comic store where I've went into another one and been like, oh, this looks just like that shop. Like, I feel like they're their own unique spaces. In their own way. I don't know. It's kind of this bizarre thing where it's like they can be small, but I don't know. Each one's just a little different. I guess Katrina said she worked for a chain. Is there any kind of like setup or like floor plan that they have to where all those stores look the same? No, not really. I mean, there's a yeah. there's a general kind of uh, it's probably similar to the way like Books of Million runs well used to run at least their their comic section. Uh-huh. So it's like kind of standardized, but uh, I don't know because I've only been to two locations the one in my hometown right, right. and the one just outside of tampa so that they were they were they definitely held different cultures i'll say that much okay um, gotcha but i to me they kind of all outside of the one in my hometown i feel like comic shops in general just kind of feel the same you know mm-hmm. like the layout never really diverges that much because i mean at a certain yeah. point like you kind of have to follow those those layout rules and those organizational rules because that's how you find stuff easier i mean if you diverge too much from that, then you just make it so that people can't find the stuff they're trying to buy. Right. I think what I was, I guess, trying to get across was more so like the space that they're in. I've never been in a comic store that's in like a similar space to another. Granted, you know, I've 
probably been to like 50, you know, but like, I feel like they're always like in these just like spaces, but you're right. It's always like lining the walls, you know, and there's a middle section where there's like a pit yeah, of comics. Yeah, I mean, spaces, I, again, um, I, I would say that they pretty much all usually are across the board pretty similar. Um, mm-hmm. The only one, honestly, the only shot that ever stood out to me is, is um, Quimby's. Just because it, it, the interior does not look like your standard comic shop. Yeah, so I mean, like you're the you're in your experience, you're seeing a lot of like spaces that are the same type of layout, well, or not the same type of layout, but the same type of like, uh, like spaces interior, that they occupy. Yeah. yeah, like in terms of like hmm. interior design and whatnot, they all look pretty similar. They all have yeah. like white walls. They all have the same white racks or like the 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 what is the the like. Um, the rack layout stuff for, for the walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the little, uh, the wall shelves or whatever. Yeah, it's like pretty generic. Nothing's ever kind yeah. of, nothing ever is meant to like stand out too much. In, okay. in, in terms of, yeah. in terms of like, you know, the, the interior design, I feel like, again, Quimby's is really the only one that ever stood out to me that kind of is different because, and I think that has more to do with the fact that, um, that location is at a very specific building and then also they carry very different products so that maybe that's it i don't really know um because a lot of i mean it's like coffee shops think about coffee shops and how many of them just all look the fucking same yeah uh they did like interior wise yeah i don't know like i guess in kentucky when if you come visit i'm gonna take you because no none of them look the same interesting Uh, you know i've been to shops in nashville and california like you know in california i've been on like golden apple and uh secret headquarters you know they weren't the same what was the one that just closed like atomic something i don't know um but yeah and then like so i've never had that experience and then in chicago like i've only been to quimby's and chicago comics and Mm -hmm. chicago comics is kind of like a fucking walmart comic store it's just so huge in there um but yeah like every my experience like it's always in like this crazy unique space which i guess kind of makes sense but um, i mean i i would say that maybe the so for example the comic shop that's in my hometown that katrina works at their prior Mm -hmm. their their well their last two locations were fairly small compared to like yeah like maybe um like i don't know like arcane comics in seattle Mm -hmm. um but yeah I, i don't know outside of like size you know like square footage Beyond that, I don't know. They all just kind of melt into the, the same kind of generic uh, feel, you know, which is not a bad thing. It, yeah. It's actually kind of good that they're all kind of uniform in that way. But uh, I mean, for for like everyday, you know, non-comic fans, you know. Right, um, right. I Well, you know, Heroes in Charlotte is, to me, stands out. But they changed. Is Heroes a shop in Charlotte? Yeah, too? it is. So the oh, the okay. comic convention is called Heroes because the shop is called Heroes. Um, and so their prior location, they just moved. I haven't been to the new one. I'll I'll be at that one mm-hmm. this year. Which um, oh, you are, did you decide you're doing Heroes? Yeah. Um, I ended up getting a, I I got an an invite from uh, the organizers, uh, one of the main organizers, and um, so it worked out. Nice, nice. Uh, Patrick will be there. Patrick Ian Rooks. I know he'll be there because oh. that's like in his hood. Oh, okay, so. okay. I'll have to. I'll have to yeah. hit him up then and, and see. If hit he him wants up. To hang yeah, out. for sure. Um, yeah, that's exciting, man. That's yeah. I've kind of said it on the show. Like, I just don't have the balls to do that show just because I don't think I would sell well. Um, yeah, but, I mean, you know, I'm only really doing it because I'm getting the comp table and yeah. um, I'm not paying for a room because my brother goes to that show every year. Really. Because, okay. you know, uh, like, I don't know how 
I don't know how familiar you are with with heroes as a convention, but they they primarily focus on artists and writers. And granted, it's still heavily leaning on Marvel, DC, you know, maybe Image, Dark Horse, etc. But it's still primarily artists and, and you know, like creator driven. Yeah, it seems like it's like exactly that's kind of the vibe I've gotten because it's like the people that go are like badass like indie comic creators, but also it's got like. You'll have like fucking uh, Chris Claremont there, you know, that's yes. just got some really heavy it's, hitters and, you know, so it's a really cool looking yeah, show. It's like if, if TCAF did, if T, if the people that tabled and go to TCAF were focused on superhero books more so, or that kind of that genre mm-hmm. of books, then that's kind of the yeah. same vibe. They have a lot of Silver Age or Silver Age era creators, artists, inkers, pencilers, you know, that kind of thing. Back when the labor laterally was very kind of regimented and uh, separate. Mm-hmm. Um, so my brother loves commissioning, you know, those guys are buying original pages from those guys. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So he offered to, cause he, he got a room and it comes with two beds and he's only going to need one of them. So he's just like, yeah, if you want to crash mm-hmm. with me. I, so, yeah. so your brother's a big comic fan. He is. I mean, he's a great bit older than me. Mm-hmm. So his, again, he, mo- he mainly focuses on silver age. Yeah, right, and right, some right. gold golden age stuff. Um, okay, yeah, I know he still reads kind of a little bit contemporary stuff, but most of it he doesn't really care for. From what I can tell, he's definitely more of like an old school kind of. You know, he likes what he likes, and he has a massive collection, like f- comically large, in terms of like <laughs> single issues and also like original art. So, right, right, that's awesome, man. I bet, dude. Does he live in Chicago as well or Florida? No, no, he lives in um, Virginia. Oh, okay, okay. So, uh, like, are you all close enough in age to where you all live together, or was he out of the house when you were a kid? Oh, no, like I said, he's a great deal older than me. Like, okay, gotcha, by, like, gotcha. 25 years. Okay, yeah. He was in college by the, or he was getting out of college by the time I was, you know, born. Interesting, yeah, so there was no, like, you know, hand-me-down, like, I know your exposure to comics was mainly, you know, you've talked about, you know, working with Aaron, or, you know, hanging out with Aaron, but, so he, he was never around to, like, show you things when you were younger? Not in comics, I mean, I, I think we, uh-huh. I only really figured out that he was into comics when I was much older, like, in, in like, yeah. middle school or high school. Um, okay. my initial experience with comics was like Seven Eleven because um, my mom, um, my mom used to run like a, a hair salon, mm-hmm. and uh, right down the road from from where the shop was was a Seven Eleven. So every once in a while, I would go over there and get a slushy and buy like a, a comic or two if I had if I had the change. Um, and in fact, my earliest memory was buying uh, that first issue that kind of introduced the. Uh, what was that shit? I think it introduced the Thanos storyline. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we talked about that before. Yeah. Um, and I remember I remember going to 7-Eleven and buying things. I remember one time um, there was, I bought an X-Force. It had to have been Liefeld just timing-wise from a 7-Eleven. I really wish that gas stations and, you know, grocery stores still had comics. Even if it was, like, just mainstream stuff. At least it was a, it would be available in that you know avenue. I yeah. think the only mainstream store to like carry comics is like Barnes and Noble because you can find some titles right there next right. to the magazines. Right, I've and I will. That. I mean, I will say that like if you're a parent, you're probably going to be more likely to buy them a comic than like a pack of gum or like candy bars. You know? Oh yeah, because you don't want your kid to get that shit everywhere. Right, right. So you're just so, like here. Here's you this. Know, you'll actually like read. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, and exactly. Like, I remember, like, 
my mom had no problem when we were kids, like, you know, getting us a magazine or a comic. I feel like my brother and I always had like Disney Adventure, Nickelodeon magazine or like Archie books. Yeah. You know, so that was always like kind of something that was around. And then, you know, we had a comic shop growing up that I would go to because in Kentucky we didn't have 7-Eleven. So I remember you'd get your comics from Walden Books Mm -hmm. off of like a little spinner. And then we had a place called Comic Vault that's like 10 minutes up the road in another town that uh, was a pretty crazy shop. Um, There was originally two owners and then out back one of the owners killed the other because it was like a Coke front. That's like the rumor and innuendo around the town. Mm -hmm. um dude went to jail for like six or seven years and now he's out and i'll stop in there because like he has a lot of shit like in the warehouse like and he has it all like cataloged on his computer and like an excel spreadsheet that's like ancient as fuck but it is kind of weird being in that shop because you know he's a murderer and everything but uh (laughs) but but the guy that died wasn't exactly popular right yeah 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 i mean he got you know it was like self-defense or whatever but i mean he still but you know in his defense uh you would not think this guy was a murderer just talking to him. You know, you would just have to like sure. have read the newspaper articles and everything like that. So maybe it was self-defense, you know, right. I don't and, know exactly yeah. what went down. Um, but well, you know, he did he his did, time. He yeah. did his time and you know, he came out and he's still fucking slinging comics, man. So props yeah. to the comic vault in Radcliffe. Um, yeah, it's pretty legit. So what's your favorite shop? Like, I don't know if it's in Chicago or if it's the one Katrina yeah. works at in Lakeland. What's your favorite shop? In Florida, in Florida, it would definitely mm-hmm. be the one that Katrina works at. Like, bar none. Okay. And I, you know, I'm going to say 90% of that is because of the people that work there. And you know what? I will say that mm-hmm. that is the main thing that makes shops stand out to me nowadays. Is yeah, that yeah. really the way you stand out is by the people that you employ. And... Mm-hmm. um. As a result, the type of stuff that's being brought into the shop. Um, so I'll always peek at like employee recommendations. They'll always have like some rack somewhere and there'll be oh, a new yeah, release yeah. and like yada yada. This employee, you know, recommends this, these couple of books. And I always check those. That's like kind of the thing that mm-hmm. I keep an eye out for the most. Right. And yeah, like, I don't know. It's like, I, and we talk about it in the interview, but you know, the, that, that shop for, where it is and how small it is, it's like wildly mm-hmm. uh, ahead of the curve. And yeah. and people that go there, again, I really don't think they understand how spoiled they are in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and then in Chicago, probably Challengers, just as like okay. a general kind of like if you want to get weekly issues, Challengers, I think, is mm-hmm. up there um, okay. because of the people that they employ and the owners are really cool. Um, and then Quimby's for just like everything else, you know. Growing up, honestly, my favorite quote-unquote shops, uh, I was not, outside of Books a Million, which I spent a lot of time in as a kid, uh, I was mostly picking up back issues through uh, flea markets. Mm-hmm. Um, but like growing up, my dad, because um, he's been retired since like the dawn of time, and he uh, worked at a, at a flea market, you know, selling stuff at his booth and whatnot, and every once in a while he would pick up some comics. Uh, from like a vendor or whatever there and, and uh, bring them bring them home to me. And that's really where I got most of my experience with comic books. So I was like, uh, I don't know, like eight or nine around there and uh, getting books five years old, you know, after the fact, sometimes ten, sometimes 10 years after the fact. Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot um, of people don't know what they have there, too. I remember my dad brought back a bunch of Spider-Man comics for me. Just They're just like kind of random. And uh, a 
couple of them were part of the Maximum Carnage um, storyline. Oh, sick. And yeah, I, it was like I, a 15-part story. <laughs> more than that, I would think. Yeah, it was um, crazy. And it ran over like four books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he got me that, and I think he also got me like the first issue of Venom. Which okay, was the one like with like the, the red holographic cover? Yep, that's yep. the one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then some random, like... Um, it was mostly Marvel. I mean, there was some like Batman stuff and a couple of Superman issues, but mostly it was uh, Marvel stuff. Um, no, not really much in X-Men either. So it was mostly Spider-Man. Um, what's what is that character? Um, not Deadpool. Fucking what's his name? He's a cyborg. Part of the uh, Weapon X program. It's like Death something. And I can't fucking oh, remember. Oh, Death, Death, Deathlock? Deathlock. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deathlock. Yeah, so I got a couple of Deathlock issues, and I remember being super into those. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And then when I started helping out working with my dad at, at, in the flea market, I would then go to those those same vendors that were, uh, I would assume, is where he got those books from. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would just like pick through and buy some random stuff. So, I mean, and that's kind of like funny that you were able to like get your comics in such a weird way. And especially because you were getting them and they were years old. Cause honestly, like that's kind of like awesome because you were getting to see probably stuff that was really good. Now, the reason why I say that is, is because like, I feel like, cause this is probably what you were reading stuff from the eighties at that point. Cause you were a kid. This was, yeah, these would have been issues from like uh, the late eighties and the early nineties. And I was probably buying these or reading these in like the late nineties. Okay. Like okay. Mid, mid to late 90s. So some of them would have been like a year or two after they've been initially released. And then some of them might have been about five years, you know? Right, um, right. But then, like I said, I was still going to Books A Million. I was like getting like, uh, I was really big in the Archie Sonic run. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah. uh, for some reason, I was really into the Batman Forever comic adaptation that came out. I remember that for some reason. Do you still have your copy of that? Oh, yeah, somewhere. somewhere okay, I was going to say, because I have two of those, so if you don't, I'll uh, <laughs> drop some nostalgia on you. No, yeah, I definitely okay. have that still. Um, yeah, yeah. There were a couple other things that were coming out back then that I kind of vaguely remember, but mm-hmm. mostly for some reason it was that Sonic book, that, the Archie yeah. Sonic run. Yeah, I remember buying that at Walden Books. I would get that book. Uh, classmate, I was in like second grade, brought him to school one day, and oh, I started yeah. collecting them too. Um yeah, I actually uh, bought a Sonic book. God, I guess this is probably like three or four years ago now at this point, but it feels like it wasn't that long ago. But um, I read online. Do you remember the video game Beautiful Joe? Yeah. Yeah. So apparently like there was like an article on like Bleeding Cool, one of those dumb comic websites that like has news. Um, but they were like, hey, Beautiful Joe is going to show up in the new issue of Sonic. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Why? I've got it. Well, apparently, I guess because like Capcom and Sega or I don't know how it happened. Okay, but okay. I, yeah, I was like, hey, I've got to check this out because I love Beautiful Joe. And it was like a one page thing where he just showed up in the background. So I haven't bought a Sonic comic since. You felt um, lied to. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, like, you know, it's kind of funny because like you know in small town kentucky you know there was that comic shop but besides that it was walden books and that was like i guess the mainstream peak of uh comics was like you can go to the mall and 7-eleven and get them and now it's just this specialty thing yeah and i think like you know comic shops that i really love there was a shop in nashville called brain freeze and uh that's a cool name they were, yeah they were a shop that ran like they never had their own location but they ran inside of other locations so like there was a record store and they had like a back room of it and it was just like this curated collection of like you know they had their standard like you know 
heavy hitters like you know you had your uh you know wear clouds but they would just bring in like weird like Riso printed comics and like you know john fam stuff would be there uh ben mara stuff and this is like you know 2012 13 so before yeah, yeah. i don't want to say before they were big but you know while they were doing it you know they had like ryan cecil smith so i would just go to brain freeze you know because it was close to the college channel lived in and that really was instrumental in me finding indie comics you know like i knew about like you know Klaus and the hernandez brothers and all those dudes but just being able to walk in there and just pick up like uh there's that uh, publisher, uh, what's Zach Soto, that publisher he works for called, um, not Secret Voice, fuck, what are they called? Study at, Group. At, oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and like they would have like the Study Group compilation, so it was just really cool, and that was honestly like one of my favorite shops of all time, and you don't really see too many like indie shops, like most of the time you've got to like, you know, carry Marvel and DC stuff as like 70% of your stock, at least, you know, mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. stay afloat. But, you know, you've got your shops like Quimby's and I guess like Brain Freeze and I know Desert Island up in New York um, that are just, you know, dedicated. And uh, what's the one in Toronto called? Isn't there one that's really big in Toronto? Uh, um, and, uh, I Yeah, I don't know the name, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, props to those shops. Those are like my favorite kind of comic shops to visit just because like you're going to go in and you're going to find some stuff you're familiar with, but you're going to just pick stuff up and flip through it and take it home based off of that first like initial experience you have flipping through it in the store. And that's not really something that you can replicate, I feel like, in a mainstream comic store. Yeah. Because you kind of know what you're getting. I, um, I agree. I feel like um, that was one of the reasons why I really love uh, the shop that Katrina works is because they will carry stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, granted, it'll be super limited. They'll only have like five to ten copies. But, I mean, you're, it's again, the, the, the people that are going to that shop, I don't think they fully grasp how spoiled they are in that sense it's like a mainstream comic shop that also has like these like super small press weirdo books that you wouldn't find mm -hmm. at any other and also not any other location that is like part of that chain either it's like that one specific location of that chain that has that stuff so yeah and i mean that's like incredible that she's able to like you know get that stock in there and uh we kind of touched base on it last episode but you know listeners as we promised we do have part two coming up after this so stick around for that you yeah like that? that was good yeah that was good we'll be right back holy comic books it's batman not just comic books billy bosco's has it all T-shirts, baseball cards, models, posters, computer games, role-playing games, anything a law-abiding citizen could want. Dolly, Batman, you sold me. Just a Gotham City Minute, Billy. There's more. Bosco's has gift certificates. Take it from this Cape Crusader. Don't be a joker. Come to Bosco's. Now, back to our program. opinion why do certain books perform and others don't is that something that's on the publisher is that something that's on the distributor is it both is it um like you know in, in your opinion um well i think it depends on the book i think it depends on 
like a few factors like you know like you Mm -hmm. can put a really great creative team on a really cool character and still like not market it at all and it might do terribly you know um Mm -hmm. but also like i mean like nine times out of ten i think that uh you know bigger publishers are not taking like enough risks with creative teams um they're like Mm -hmm. too committed to like a house style they're too committed to continuity like i feel like if you could you know if you're like working as an editor at you know whatever comic company and um let's say like you couldn't do green arrow like you were in charge of you know who was gonna make green arrow like you could find like some cool weird kid that had a great style and like you know hear some pitches for like really wacky ideas of (laughs) shenanigans you could get into and like I, I think it would be, like, fun, you know? Especially if you took the time to, like, stick with that and, like, let it come out for a while and let shops, like, love it. And then, you know, the next step is to have your customers love it because you're so excited about it. Um, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of it is that it's, like, the same stuff. Like, there's nothing... They're not taking a lot of risks with creators. And, um, and obviously, like, you know, when things are in a slump, that's probably not anyone's first instinct is to, like, take risks with like creative teams or whatever but um i don't know i think that's like a part of it is that it's like kind of the same thing and you know people get sick of the same thing after a certain period of time and don't want to spend their four dollars a month on it or whatever right because i i know one complaint that was completely repeated over and over by a certain groups of people was that the reason why sales are tanking with Marvel and DC and other kind of like, you know, whatever image, just comic publishers in general with superhero books specifically, um, it's, is because of the, you know, the kind of SJW politics that they allegedly are kind of trying to push. Right, right, right. (laughs) Um, but I mean, do you think that there's something to that in terms of publishers maybe using, like you said, predatory tactics, but in terms of just like pandering without really any kind of thought behind those directions. So I think so I think sometimes that this, that's the case. Um I think so okay, for example, like I was talking about a few years ago when Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man was coming out. Like that book was great. Yeah. And that character yeah. was really fleshed out and interesting and real. Like he felt like a real kid, you know? And like I said at that same time, G. Willow Wilson um was writing Miss Marvel. That was great. She like felt like mm-hmm. a real person with like a real identity. Um, I do think because those books did so well and they did well because they were coming from a genuine place, um, from like, you know, creators who were interested in making real characters, like who are actual real people and not stereotypes or tokens or whatever. Um, I think that, you know, it's easy for, for a publisher to see that those books do really well and then kind of like flood the market with that concept, but without any actual like substance to it. Um, yeah. So I, I'm hesitant to say that that's like an actual issue in comics because I think it's a symptom of the actual issue in comics, which is just general pandering. And like I said, not, not really taking risks or doing anything that's actually like creative and like, you know, heartfelt and actually like driven by like genuine storytelling um right yeah um but yeah like i said i think that's like just a symptom and uh right it's pretty frustrating Mm -hmm. when it gets blamed as the cause when i think the cause is a lot bigger but yeah um yeah i don't think you know jane foster having the hammer of thor for (laughs) 30 issues or whatever was (laughs) the real problem (laughs) (laughs) do you especially because that book was awesome (laughs) 
Well, and you, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, you're, we're talking about like, you know, that's like a good example. Like, so let's say, you know, when Jane Foster's in Thor, uh, your casual audience member that is exposed to these superheroes from the big two are obviously seeing the movies, you know, that's where the Mm -hmm. bread and butter for these companies are. So do you see like an uptick in sales when like right now, Captain Marvel's out, are you seeing a lot of people come in asking for Captain Marvel stuff? Are they going for the floppy or are they buying like a collected edition of something that's already been done? And in a case like, you know, Thor, even, you know, you mentioned Jane was Thor for a while. Like if somebody comes into a shop and they're looking for Thor from the Avengers and they see Jane, are they, usually confused by it or are they open to that what do you usually see with that um, kinda- well so i will say i try and you know all of this too is with like the grain of salt that i can only speak to like my specific shop so like mm-hmm. i right, it might be right, wildly yeah, different yeah. at other comic shops but i will say yeah. so at my comic shop like i try very hard to like we try to ask people if they need anything and ask to explain things before people can have the chance to even ask us, you know, or be confused by whatever. Right. Um, yeah. You can kind of tell too when someone walks in, like right off the bat, if they've ever been in a comic shop at all before. You can, it's kind of written on their face. And, you know, that like makes my job easier in a way. Like, I love what my favorite part of my entire job is like helping people realize that they can like read and like comics, even if they never have before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, People are not usually, like, hesitant to read a comic that doesn't look like the movie, um, because I, th- I think what, at the end of the day, is actually, like, appealing about the movies and then, you know, the step beyond that, the comics, is just that, like, like it's this really weird, wacky, like, fun, like, action-adventure sci-fi thing that, like, we can all just, like, participate in. And um, yeah. so, you know, if Jane Foster doesn't look like Thor Odinson, then, like, I don't think that that's necessarily usually what's going to drive people away, because I think if they watch a Thor movie and they're really pumped about it, and then they come in and I can say, like, oh, well, actually, Thor did some shady stuff, and now he's not worthy of his hammer, and so Jane Foster's has the power of Thor, like, that just makes it more interesting to... I I think people who don't already have, like, a chip on their shoulder about, you know, whatever. Um, So, but Captain Marvel specifically, I will say, so, you know, a lot of times I feel like actually I don't get a lot of people who come in and say like, hey, I have never read a comic before, but I just saw this movie and I want to read such and such comic. Okay. Uh, It happens every once in a while, but I don't think, I, I, I will say, I don't think that I have generally noticed after many of the Marvel movies, like a specific wave of whatever. Some of mm-hmm. the big ones, yeah. like right after um, Infinity War, like I sold a lot of copies of the Trade of Infinity Gauntlet. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of that too was to people who were already reading comics and just weren't familiar with that storyline or, you know, whatever. Right, right. Um, yeah. But I will say Captain Marvel specifically. So I was working all day yesterday and um, there were two separate parents like separate that came in at different points during the day who were going to two separate kids birthday parties in town that were both captain marvel themed and they both bought like a ton of captain marvel comics for like this kid's birthday (laughs) or these kids whose birthdays it were yeah yeah and so that was pretty fun um i think yeah captain marvel weirdly specifically i feel like i have had a lot of people i think especially because that's like a character people don't know a lot about right Um, there's no like preconceived like notion of that character everybody knows who the avengers are but she's kind of you know new right yeah yeah. she's not been like on cartoons or whatever really right um but yeah so i feel like i have sold a good bit of captain marvel stuff um which makes me really happy because 
she's great and that movie was amazing <laughs> was it was it like that with like say for example like guardians of the galaxy that also might not have had you know such a kind of pop culture presence initially um yeah i yeah it probably was i honestly it was that one was just further like longer ago that yeah yeah, yeah i may yeah. not remember like captain marvel was literally like yesterday that i was right. doing that. Right. right right um, yeah, yeah. but yeah i think it probably is more often the characters that have like general um aren't like immediately familiar to you know the average lay person or whatever um right because like who's gonna go and see a, a trailer for a spider-man movie and be like what's this right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, everybody knows who spider-man know is that character so right, i will yeah, say exactly. though like so um after into the spider-verse came out like yes everybody knows who spider-man is and that's probably why they saw that movie but then they were like who's this miles morales yeah, right. and i like i'm selling so many yeah, miles morales yeah. comics right now so that's pretty cool that is really cool. Um, but yeah, I think it's more, it's less, uh, I think there there is some like just outright new people coming in, but I think a lot more of it is people who are already interested in comics who are like, I didn't even know about these guys. Um, okay. So that's pretty fun. Mm. So not so much getting new readers, which is what comic books kind of need. Yeah. Well, sometimes I think to some extent. Um, and you know, so I think honestly, like my favorite rant to go on is that I think, um, especially you know actually no i was gonna say especially bigger companies but i think it's honestly all publishers you know like yeah, when an yeah. eight-year-old kid comes into my, like comics were literally invented for children <laughs> and like when an yeah. eight-year-old kid comes into my comic shop it is work to find something to sell them oh right like, yeah um, oh yeah because yeah. none of the characters on the big two are really they're all teen plus they have ratings on the books yeah. so it's all like teen yep. and teen plus um yeah everything is published yeah. for you know like 40 year old dudes which is you know fine like that's a market but um it's very frustrating that you know like the the whole concept of like getting new blood into an industry that needs new blood like is completely being ignored like um yeah like when a kid comes in and wants like an actual child comes in and wants a batman comic i (laughs) literally cannot sell them anything that's an individual Uh, issue i I intentionally keep in stock the like that batman animated adventures there's like graphic novel versions of those oh yeah like i intentionally keep those in stock for like you know the 10 year old boy that comes in once a month and wants a batman Mm -hmm. comic because that's all i can give him do you think you know do you think it's the price point because you know back in the day you know comic of course inflation but you know comics were you know really really cheap and i mean i feel like even as a child i could at least get two or three books for five bucks and when you're a kid five bucks is a lot of money now you can really only get one title for five dollars because they're all 3.99 do you think that's why these companies are marketing them towards 40 year old guys because they at least have disposable income where you know a Um, child doesn't yeah well no that's probably true but you know i will say also like you know I I'm like in a busy part of town. There's not like kids riding their bikes from down the neighborhood, like into my mm-hmm. store by themselves. Like kids come in with their parents because their parents bring them. Right. And um, especially like a lot of parents, like kids don't like reading books without pictures. And I get so many parents who bring their kids in specifically because they want their kid to get excited about reading, um, which is great because I think comics are really good for that. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, I think usually parents are willing to like, you know, spend a little bit of money on that. And, you know, like a lot of books are like if you can't get an individual issue that's like appropriate for a kid like, um, you know, if you get one issue for five bucks, like you're still you still can get something as like a kid, right, you know, right. um, and uh, yeah, there's just 
but there there's just like not a lot there for kids unfortunately i mean i think that just points to uh the thing that you had brought up initially is that the they're basically just going back to a well that clearly has dried yeah, up yeah. or clearly doesn't work in their favor, thinking that if they just continue down this path that eventually it'll work in their favor. But that's never been the case and probably never will be. And it's almost like it. they're focusing on extremely short term business goals. Oh, for sure. Right? Mm-hmm. For sure. There's no concept of what comics will look like in 10 years. I don't right. think. That's wild. Um. Yeah, because... It's, I think, like, it's such a small, like, so, so, it's such a small industry. Um, and I think, um, not just, you know, stores, but publishers, like, everybody's kind of hanging on by a thread, like, and all you can do is look at next week, you know, like, I do, so (laughs) our diamond orders, I just submitted my diamond order for May, and that's about Mm -hmm. as far as, like, we look ahead, really. Yeah. Like, six weeks out or something. Yeah, is, yeah. you know, like, what the next previews covers. So, I because it's it's impossible to know... First of all, retailers are completely beholden to what, distri- like, what publishers want to do. Um, and we don't know until six weeks ahead. <laughs> and then, also, like, I think publishers... Like, the industry is just in such a weird place that no one's willing to, like, commit to any sort of, like, long-term plan of things. At least... And not in a lot of ways, um, because you don't know how it's going to do and you don't know how soon you're going to want to cancel it and try something else. Um, So, like, obviously there's exceptions to that. Like, Jason Aaron's been writing Thor for years and years and had this whole long plan about where it was going. Like, he knew what he wanted to do all along and um, they've, like, let him execute that, which is awesome. But, I, you know, there's not enough of that in comics, unfortunately, especially for people who don't have the name Jason Aaron, you know, like, it's it's a benefit, like, awarded to... like you know, like you know the very the, handful the, of guys, yeah, the, basically the dudes I can count like on one Bendis, hand. Like Bendis yeah, will get right. a book, and yeah. then I guess like Batman's been pretty good about that. Like they had Scott Snyder on it for like three, four, five years, and now Tom King's yeah. on it for like a hundred issues. But it's really rare. Usually, you get like a six issue, twelve issue series that gets canceled and restarted four months later with a different team. Yeah. Now, I mean, going back to because we obviously we were going to be men- we mentioned Diamond quite a bit since they are. The, really the only horse in town right yeah. doing this it's like distribution is pretty much all handled by one company yeah and turns out that leads to problems <laughs> yeah. so maybe we should touch on that because i think that plays sort of a really really important role in terms of um the uh like we mentioned kind of short-term uh business planning of, of comics as an industry um yeah i mean i think the biggest issue with that is just that there is no i mean not to be a capitalist because I generally would not say I am one, but like, you know, like the monopoly, like them being the only option for any comic shop to have kind of lets them be mediocre. Um, right. Not all the time and not about everything, but, um, you know, they don't have, I don't have the capability of saying like, well, you know, like I might take six months off and try these other guys out and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I mean, obviously that in, in any industry, that would be a hard thing for to just uh, be able to have, you know, one person basically calling the shots for everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked in restaurants for like six years and you had food distributors coming by on a daily basis, like being like, hey, can I talk to you? We have this product and like comics, there's just one game. 
Yeah. But yeah, like it's crazy. There's just like one place, like for listeners that don't know how it works, there's a company called Diamond. And if you want any kind of inventory for your shop, you have to order from them. You have no other option. Yeah, unless, you know, like some shops will do small orders like directly through publishers and stuff like that. But um, yeah, as far as like, you know, large scale, whatever, like I can't like call DC and be like, hey, will you ship me 50 copies of Batman? Like that's not (laughs) how it works at all. Yeah. Um, But there's been I mean, there has been there have been a couple of companies that kind of throw their hat into the game and obviously not successfully because it's still a monopoly. So um, why do you why do you think that is? Is there sort of an active um, I don't want to say conspiracy because that's I don't think that's the case, but just by just by sheer planning and sort of the the outmoded uh, state of comics in general. You know, what what is it that's causing it for just this one company to be responsible for all of the distribution uh, for all comics or anything really in comic shops across the nation? Um, I, I mean, I think for a lot of parties involved, it's probably just because it's easy. You know, like okay. if, if there's one distributor, then Marvel only has to have comics shipped to one distributor. They don't have to mm-hmm. say, you know, we have to print this many for this distributor and this many for this distributor and... Um, I, I don't know. The diamond thing is like a much more convoluted aspect of the industry. That's kind of hard to pick apart and figure out what exactly is the problem with it and what exactly could be better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. because you know, like it, I, I honestly can't, I don't think that it'll probably change maybe ever. Um, mm-hmm. because I don't, it would, it's like at this point, it's like, like the postal service like it's just like a thing that exists and that's how you do that thing like you just have a mailbox and you put your stuff in the mail and there's a guy who comes and gets it like that's how diamond is to comic shops it's just like that is the thing that brings us our stuff but even then you have fedex ups yes yes yes, that's true but um but you know what i'm saying in that it's just it's like a big institution yeah yeah, 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 the tried and true infrastructure it doesn't even feel like a business it's just yeah it's just more an infrastructure like it's just how things get done in comics and so i think it would be a much bigger you know like i think honestly and it would be a lot easier to fix like all the problems with publishing and stuff than it would be to figure out even what the like the true heart of the issues with diamond are and like how they could be fixed um because i don't necessarily think the answer would be you know just some person with uh some a few bucks in their pocket and a dream to like open another distributor and hope that it does well with like better customer service or whatever like i don't think that that's necessarily the answer either Mm -hmm. have you seen a lot of change in the five you said Well, you've been there five or six years, I think you said. Is that right? Yeah, five and a half or so. Five and a half. Have you seen like a lot of change, whether it's on the distribution side, whether it's in like the customer base? I mean, I know earlier we were kind of touching on like the business kind of being in a, you know, a slump right now. But have you seen any kind of like drastic changes that just either didn't exist five, six years ago or, you know, did exist and don't now and have gone away? Um, I will say, okay, so... I will say, since we were just talking about Diamond, specifically, I will say I have, in the five and a half years that I've worked in a comic shop, I have a lot fewer damages and shortages and overages every week now, on average, than I did, you know, four or five years ago. Um, Yeah, I know it was a a major problem a couple years back, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there's still some wacky stuff. The last, like, three weeks, I've gotten, like, just one binder clip in each of my boxes, like, for no discernible reason. But... Like it's it's fairly okay. harmless stuff, you know. It's 
Um, That's a little bizarre, but all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say, yeah, I'm getting the wrong book a lot less often. So I, I think, honestly, Diamond's biggest problems functionality-wise are just that they're so big and do so much that it's, like, very hard to have, like, sustainable, error-proof systems in place, you know? Like, I mean, I get boxes from Diamond twice a week, and I'm one small comic shop. Like, every Tuesday I get about, you know, somewhere between five and eight boxes, Mm -hmm. and then I get a couple more later on in the week. Like, that's a lot. And I'm I'm one shop, you know? And they're shipping to literally every shop. Like, that's Mm -hmm. that's a lot to handle. So... As far as the amount that they handle, I think they probably do maybe almost as good as anybody could, because um, it does seem like it would be a really, you know, somewhat impossible task to do, but... Um, yeah. So that has for sure changed. Um, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was go just going to say, the other thing that I would say has changed is that I have seen... So I have, like, a gang of, like, seven-year-old girls that come to my comic shop now. And, um, it's... A gang? Well, I, like, joke that they're a gang. They don't even know each other. They come in at separate times, like, with their parents. okay. But we're, like, we're kind of, like, collecting these little girls who are, like, so excited about comics. And it's not, like, a weird thing for them to be into. Um, and so I will say that has changed. I feel like I have a lot more... As much as it is still, like, a problem and I have to work really hard to find things to sell them sometimes, um, yeah. I I will say I think more kids are, like, interested in what comics are. And That's maybe, awesome. And part of that might be, like, you know, movies. Like, the kids, those kids seven or eight or whatever are probably seeing Marvel movies. And right. if they're excited about reading something, their parents are like, yeah, let's check it out. So, like, that is probably, yeah, right, right. like, movies are probably helpful for that age demographic more than anything. You should show them uh, Street Angel, the Jim Rugg oh, book. I, image puts it I out. I sell Street Angel to almost everybody. <laughs> I okay, love yeah. that book so much. It's great. Like I said earlier, I mean, that shop is <laughs> really, those kids are being spoiled. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> maybe 20, 30 years they'll be able to look back and kind of really realize in retrospect. But I mean, ha- having that shop run by you and, you know, and, you know, through the regional manager, Ed and, and, and Jake and Aaron, it's like. No one would really have that experience. Like like you said, going to Tampa, they would have never gotten that yeah. there. I actually it's have crazy. Um, my like this a story that is a, a good example of exactly the level of like preciousness that comes from all of this. Is so there's yeah. this one little girl especially that comes into my shop and she because you know this the book that Aaron just recently did was Bully Wars. Um, this, like oh, an yeah. all ages yeah, book with Scotty yeah. Young. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. Um, okay, I saw that. Yeah. So it was coming out. And I obviously had a ton of copies on my shelf because a lot of people, like Aaron used to work there. So a lot of people were buying it, especially because they knew him personally. And so I was selling a lot of that book at my store specifically. And um, this little girl who had been coming in, like I knew her, she came in one time and just like saw it on the shelf without me saying anything and picked it up. And she was like, whoa, this book is so cool. She was like so excited about it. And then I was like, oh, surprise, surprise. My husband's one who draws that book. And she was like blown away. Like so so excited and then um a few That's weeks good. ago aaron i think it was um i forget if it was a page or something like that something he had like messed up a little bit and so he re-inked it but like the version the first version like was fine and still really cool and he oh, like that's aaron. Yeah. That's aaron. Yeah. <laughs> but he like knew this little girl was like a huge fan of his and so he just like gave me the page to give to her and she cried oh. like she literally oh, cried oh, no. when i gave it to her and oh, so no. like stuff like that is really cool like that when i'm having our day at work i'm like okay 
there are reasons I am here and they're <laughs> yeah. worth it. And it's wild that, again, like this shop in Lakeland, Polk County, Florida, I don't even think kids in like, you know, New York, like near in like Union Station get experiences like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't you work know? at any of those stores. Maybe no. everybody's giving away pages at comic shops to kids. No, I, <laughs> they, I can I pretty to. much say with, yeah, with, pretty, with like a pretty high level of certainty. Yeah. No, they are not. <laughs> yeah. Or that level of service and just kind of like knowledge base. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like that. Well, I, I guess the main point that we're getting at here is just like uh, those kids are really lucky to have you guys at that shop and have that shop in general. Well, so. yeah, thanks. I, I will say both Jake and I really like, I mean... We, it's, it's like, I like talking to, you know, the grown dudes who come in about whatever. Like, they're, I, I, I honestly have like one of the greatest customer bases probably on planet Earth. Like, they're all mm-hmm. very nice and super cool and we can chat about all kinds of stuff. But there is like a whole other level of satisfaction to like see, see a kid who, you know, is still so capable of being like visibly excited about something. Um, right. To like show them something for the first time that could be something that they love forever. Like, that is. Right. I'm like very lucky to have that job. Yeah. And I, I think that speaks to kind of the, the business model of the, you know, main like comic industry on at that scale is that really it is coming from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. Right. Like these publishers and these distributors, they're the ones right with all the money and the marketing team and whatnot. But really what is directing sales and sort of the overall attitude towards the medium is from people like you. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think. um I think some publishers are starting to realize that. So I don't know. Did did either of you guys like read anything about Comics Pro that just happened recently? Like any of the kinds of discussions that were happening there? I read like a like a very broad article that had like a few things bullet pointed, but uh, I didn't really like do any kind of in-depth reading about it. But I did hear that there was like a really big focus on like, you know, the retail side of things like and how DC was taking those Walmart exclusive books and bringing them over to other uh regular shops and yeah. stuff yeah yeah so um you know comics pro is this big you know publishers and retailer conference basically to talk about the state of the industry and how things are going and what anybody like whichever party can do to make it more functional and um mm-hmm. they had um this year like so actually the owner of my comic shop company who has a lot to say about the industry um and also like Brian Hibbs and Joe Field who both have run big shops for like a very long time and are also very vocal about the industry um they had all all of them like give speeches at comics pro about um basically asking them what's wrong with comics right now and like what can be done about it yeah um and like you know they had a lot of like really interesting good i think super valuable things to say and the fact that like the industry asked them to say it i think is um really indicative of hopefully a good direction um that publishers are now you know i think for a long time the mindset was kind of like well we're we're doing these things and we know they should work so like it's on you guys the retailers to make sure that it works yeah Um, the super arrogant too big to fail kind of attitude right but i think now um they're kind of realizing that like they won't sell anything unless we like it and we want to sell it you know and so like for them to sit back and say like okay well like what do you want to sell and how do you want to sell it is i think um i think a really good thing and i think um hopefully you know if if that kind of like attitude and relationship continue to 
um, you know, it continues to be a conversation, then I think um, the industry has nowhere to go but up if that is how things, you know, go forward. forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's super um, positive. It's, you know, I, I am definitely the skeptical one of the two here on gutter boys but um yeah i mean if if that trajectory trajectory continues and the industry and these publishers and distributors and whatnot are really willing to take that criticism and really do something positive with it then they might be able to learn something and actually kind of steer the ship back towards you know not self-destruction yeah um, yeah and you know um it's like sometimes i wonder about like what like what the possible absolute even unrealistic like worst case scenario could be for like the entire comics industry in the future and like so let's say like all these like comics gate rumors about like marvel shutting down the comics industry it's like let's pretend that that might be true for a second which it's not but right yeah has um, no merit at all but yeah (laughs) right so let's like so let's say, like, you know, whatever, comics, the numbers keep plummeting, Marvel mm-hmm. and DC go bankrupt, they should stop publishing comics, um, let's mm-hmm. say, like, Image is hanging out by a thread, it's, like, a few indie publishers who are essentially, like, self, like, you know, self-published stuff, um, probably not enough to support retail establishments anymore. Like, mm-hmm. even at that point, like, when I think about this, like, dystopian future for, like, the entire world that I have right now, it yeah. still is, like... You know, like, there's always going to be people who are, like, really excited about comics and who are going to make comics. Yeah. So, like, let's say Batman, let's say no one owns the rights to Batman someday. Like, some kid is going to learn about Batman and draw, like, the dopest Batman comic, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, even if things really somehow go completely toe up, like, it's going to be fine. So, I don't know. And, like, it's it's kind of scary to even think about that, even though, you know, like, that's incredibly unrealistic that that would be the case anyway, but... Um, like comics are so much about just like people being excited about this like really specific kind of bizarre art form um, and like it's gonna exist no matter what so like yeah. it, sometimes it feels like Marvel and DC kind of own that art form but they most definitely don't and um, right, right. They don't, yeah. yeah people are gonna do what they want to do forever no definitely definitely going back to that hypothetical uh, sort of like um, where do you see the sort of business as a whole in the next 10 years if they do do keep... you see it moving digitally entirely or do you think there's always gonna be brick and mortar like do you see a digital threat there i think we kind of talked about that on an episode before like digital versus physical comics well i think so okay so aaron and i we both really like comics we're also like record collectors i think there's something about things like that um there's something like really integral to comics about like the tactileness of it like right, right. Yeah. yeah having like a an an item an object yeah something yeah. to collect um there and also just like not to feel like incredibly cheesy but like the way it smells like no yeah, yeah the absolutely. way yeah, no, I love the that like shit. texture yeah. of the paper and stuff like that like all of that i feel like is a really big part of reading comics and mm-hmm. um like you know customers there's i have a handful of people who are like read some digital comics but like they still come in my shop and are like oh but this one i want to own a copy of like huh, i think digital yeah. comics have a place in the world because people want to read things that maybe they don't care about owning or you know whatever um or maybe they want to own something and never actually touch it maybe they only want to collect it and so like they yeah. can read a digital copy but i yeah. don't think mm-hmm. that the actual industry itself and i mean i could be completely wrong who knows but like i don't think that the actual industry itself is actually like going to be really threatened by um uh-huh. digital stuff in any way 
I, like, I 100% agree with that. Right. Yeah. And I don't um, even see it as a threat, right? I mean, I think those can work in tandem with one another. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. Um, yeah, and like I mentioned records, like, you know, records come with, like, that little digital download thing. And sometimes yeah. I want to listen to the record, and sometimes I, like, play it on my phone in the car. Like, a- absolutely. it, it no, depends. Absolutely. Like, yeah. There's room for both. Yeah, I don't uh-huh. I, I don't think it should be an if. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a zero-sum game, right? Like, you can have both. And if anything, we should be pushing actively both. Because I think that'll bring in new readership and and uh, uh, get like a whole new sort of segment of the population that probably otherwise wouldn't be reading. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, with comics, like I think out of all the medium that we consume, still, um, I would say like it's like it's comics and it's books, and now it's also like records, and music yeah. albums, and stuff like that. Those are really the only things that we're still consuming. That still, you still have shops dedicated specifically to those things. You know, like. And obviously, some of those have taken a hit over the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, look at the state of like, you know, uh, FYE and, and um, uh, what is it? Um, uh, what was Tower the bookshop? Few- oh, oh um, Barnes and Noble? Uh, no, no, no. The ones that are that that started oh, borders. close borders. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and those yeah. going belly up. Right. But like I, mm-hmm. the fact that we still have stores dedicated to those mediums, I think, is really kind of interesting and proof that people do still want those tactile things, those objects, even though now, I mean, books are sold quite a bit now in digital format, but they're still t- right. selling tons in physical format. So Yeah, but you know, there's like kind of an irreplaceable experience that comes from like all these things you're talking about. So like borders closed, but like when was the last time like someone got hired at borders that like felt really passionately about like a writer or anything and was like talking to people about it. You know, like no, yeah, those all of right. those things are still sold and like thriving in places where people want to like have conversations about that medium um where you know you can like if you bring superman like a superman comic up to my my like counter like i'm gonna be like hey have you read all-star superman because it is dope and you should read it like and people want to talk about stuff like that and Mm -hmm. that's why people also like continue to buy those things because it's not just like the physical object that is like fun and an experience in and of itself but it's also like the cultural experience of like discussing a physical object that like right right yeah yeah, like is not like purchased in a vacuum like while you're sitting on your toilet or whatever like (laughs) you know you're like actually going to a place and seeing a human who cares about the same thing that you do like that's like an important part of being human (laughs) yeah and i think that's a really interesting point because like you know with things like borders and sort of like books of millions and these kind of like larger brick and mortar shops that are specific to that medium that are kind of in that downturn you still see local shops and i think that's why we don't really see too many like major scale chains for comic shops yeah like the smallest it get or the sorry the largest that it really gets is in like in your case right you have one that's specific to the state yeah, so we're, yeah, like, we're a chain of eight stores, but I will say also, like, so the owner, like, he started this company, like, 36 years ago, and he still, like, mm-hmm. comes to work every single day, and, like, he was a kid when he started this comic shop, and he started it just because he loved comics, and, yeah. like, he still, like, works his ass off, like, making sure he can, like, scrap together, like, a company that functions, and also works, like, incredibly hard to hire people 
that all like care about comics as much as he did like yeah um whether they like the same comics he did or not or whether we like anything that he likes or not you know like he still like works really hard to put people in his stores that are like excited to be there and excited to talk to people about what they're excited about um and i think like that is the only way you know like that a company even of our size like can function is that the the emphasis isn't necessarily on like how quickly you can ring a person up or whatever it's like yeah it's honestly more like how slowly can you ring a person up and like talk to them <laughs> right. about stuff you know no no right can you remember not... their kids names like that kind of stuff is a lot more important absolutely because you can get that experience now on amazon right. if you really wanted to get something without any sort of personal connection without any sort of conversation or exchange of ideas and tastes uh, you just go on a website, click a button, and you'll have it within a couple of days. Yeah. And I, I think that points to the the need for any real industry to focus on sort of smaller scale kind of, I wouldn't, I mean, I guess grassroots, but you know what I mean? Just kind of like not large faceless entities. Right. And rather yeah, yeah. just like something that comes from a genuine place, um, you know, like a small chain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where just people are actually like interested and excited by what they're selling and it doesn't necessarily even feel like selling like i don't right like when i go to work i'm not like i'm gonna hustle this book and sell so much of it like i honestly just (laughs) sell stuff that i'm like really excited about and feel like i'm having like a conversation with friends about and i'm like oh my gosh i can't believe you haven't read this you should read it like right yeah that's how people excited about the medium yeah yeah, and that's really where I mean that's really what's keeping the industry afloat still, right? Like it's definitely oh, yeah, not for sure. Jo- it's not Disney that's saving comics. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's the readership and the people like you in the shops talking to people and and ha- making that connection with the readers. Yeah, hopefully. Well, I definitely try really hard to. So. No, I, you are. You are. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I wouldn't say that just to say it. I think it's definitely you know people. There, there needs to be more people like you, and I think that they do exist. Obviously, it's just. Uh, it's really hard for us to kind of be able to see that in any way since it is, you know, on that ground floor from city to city, town to town. Yeah. And, you know, I think also like comic shops in general are kind of changing um, as like the demographic is changing. Like, I think, um, you know, like there's the idea of like the old comic shop and like the Simpsons, like comic book guy, like that kind of thing (laughs) is kind of like extinct at this point. Like, yeah. Um, you know, like it exists here and there. And like, if that is like what the shop you go to is like, and that's what you enjoy, like, that's great. Like at the end of the day, that's what matters if, if you're, you're happy being in a place. But I think, Mm -hmm. um, comic shops are currently, you know, a lot more like young people that are like really excited about like weird stuff happening in comics and they'll like pick their, you know, 10 books they're super pumped about and like really want to talk to people about those books. And it's not so much, um, it's a lot less like gatekeeper, you know, which I think is a really good thing. Absolutely. I think that, I mean, you know, me and Cam, well, specifically me, uh, are very critical of like the, the, the quickness to jump to movie and TV adaptations over the comic medium. Right. But I think one of the major things that I can say that is a positive because of, uh, from, you know, movie and TV adaptations is that it has made, um, these things that were initially completely controlled by gatekeeping to this much broader audience that's far more inclusive or at least has the opportunity to be inclusive. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. No, I think that is a huge part of it. Um, is that and I think that's I mean that's why you see Comics Gate happening. It's because that's gone now. Right. Yeah. No, it's for sure like a last grasp or like a last gasp on like trying to 
you know, keep it like some sort of like exclusive club. But like, if you actually love something, like, wouldn't you want everyone on earth to also love it? Like, well, no, because uh, then if you get, if you remove that, then now they have no excuse anymore, to be yeah. an unfuckable, fucking horrible monster. <laughs> right. They don't, they don't, they don't have another excuse to point to and say, this is why I can't get laid. Yeah. I will say, you know, like there, there are plenty of days where I really hate being a woman in a comic shop, but more often than not, I I'm like really happy to be able to like, sometimes I feel like me sometimes just being the person behind the counter kind of like sets a tone in my store when a new person walks in there. Um, Absolutely. And I'm, if for no other reason, I'm like kind of glad that I can do that sometimes. Right. Especially if it's like kids, right? Because that kind of sets the tone you know. Oh, or even like crabby old dudes, you know, like I'll like look you in the face and dare you to ask me what issue number like was somebody's <laughs> first appearance. Like, yeah, I, well, <laughs> I, yeah, have no, no time or energy for that. Like yeah. gatekeepery well, stuff, which people try you, and pull sometimes, but. You are part of sort of this kind of, um, uh, this, this kind of network of retail workers in co- the comic business that are all women, Right. There's like a thing that exists. Yeah. So I think you're talking about the Valkyries. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They have actually officially disbanded now, unfortunately. Oh, okay. um, well, that shows how, how up to date I am. But about that. it just kind of got like too big for moderation capabilities and everything, I you know. See. Okay. Um, but it was so I joined the Valkyries like not long after I started working at the shop, like part time, you know, five and a half years ago. And yeah. um, it was maybe like a couple hundred people. And then when I think it disbanded, it was like, a little over 800 people like it oh wow it okay really grew and there were a lot of them and yeah um but the valkyries honestly i think have like had a really as much as like people might not know they exist i think the valkyries had like a really like tangible impact on the comics industry um we would get like advanced pdfs of books um from creators all the time and yeah. like they'd ask like basically our like feminist opinion of it and stuff like that like which is really cool like that it could be like for people to see you know it's one thing to say like yeah girls read comics but like when it's a group of 600 of them like who know more about comics than you do like it's very hard to like ignore that they can have like an effect on the industry um and so it was i mean that was a really important part of me like working in a comic shop honestly was being able to see that there were because sometimes it can be very isolating to be like a woman in a comic shop um but to have like you know literal evidence of like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other women who are like having the exact same experience as i am and having the exact same good experiences that i am too like that was really nice that's awesome yeah i mean uh you know mj that i think you know um, from the Valkyries. Yeah, I've and, never even like met her, but I know her from the Valkyries. Yeah, that's so fun. well, you will, you will, um, you know, next weekend. Oh yeah, cool, cool, you, cool. Yeah, I'm yeah, excited. she'll be there. Um, but you know, she, she shares sto- like horror stories, <laughs> um, some better than others, obviously, or, or some uh, just kind of like benign. It, 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 you know, the the scale shifts from benign to just like what the hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like we talked about the positive stories. So, are there anything like because you work in retail? Anybody that's worked in retail has some maybe not so great experiences working in retail. I think that's just across the board, regardless of what industry it is, just working in retail can, can be pretty rough. Uh, I, yeah. think that's, I think that's honest to say that, but. Um, so I mean, like horror stories even sounds like really extreme for probably any bad experiences I've had. I've only had to kick somebody out of the store one time 
Um, have I stood near our panic button a lot? Yes. But oh, that's, God. You know, okay. nothing like came of it. But, you know, sometimes you're like, maybe I should be near this just in case. Uh, um, I think that would be fall under horror. I, I guess <laughs> so. You know, sometimes people just get crazy eyes and you're like, this guy yeah, might be sure. completely normal, but he also might like completely lose his mind. And I really can't tell yet. Sure. Um, that's fair. Generally, he did not do anything. Okay. But, you okay. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The girl's got to have a panic button, but... Um, no, no, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so. so I did have to kick a guy out once because he was trying to sell me, like, a $300 magic card that I already had one of, and, like, how frequently are you going to sell a $300 magic card? So I didn't want it. And uh, he was, like, being really pushy about it, and he was like, this is a great card, and I was like, dude, I said no, like, get out of here. And then, um, so our, my store used to be downtown. There's a lot more, like, homeless folks down there. And this guy came in uh, while this dude was, like, basically harassing me into buying this magic card. And he just asked if he could use the store phone. Um, mm-hmm. He was very polite. And I was just like, and I was polite in response. I was like, oh, no, man, sorry. Like, I can't do that. Um, we just had, the, like, the one phone line. Our general rule is not to let anybody use it. But, yeah. Um, and he, like, very politely, like, turned around and started to leave, like, was not causing any sort of scene. And this, like, magic card dude was like, that's right, dude, you better walk away. And oh, God. was, wow. like, trying to, like, defend me in some, like, incredibly bizarre, like, sexist way. And I was like, like, get out of here, dude. I, like, went off on him. And then he was, like pissed that I was mad at him. He was like, I was trying to, like, stick up for you. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that guy did literally nothing but, like, ask me a question. <laughs> so, that guy was, was kind of worried. defending your he honor. Was, yeah, yeah. He's the only person I've kicked out of my store, which was oh, very wow. satisfying to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, um, and, Cam, I mean, about, I get oh, a lot of sorry, the, like... Sorry. No, it's okay. Sorry, I was just gonna say, I get a lot of the, like people asking me a question and then halfway through me answering I realized that it was like a quiz like they already knew the answer <laughs> like that happens a lot but that's about it that's the extent of the terribleness <laughs> the rhetorical pop quiz right yeah let's that's make sure you amazing. deserve to be in this store <laughs> little lady we need, to, we need to verify whether or not you can work at this all kind of minimum wage job yeah <laughs> that's amazing yeah uh, no, I was going to say, Cam, do you, you have a couple of stories with your experience working at a shop. Yeah. And, you know, I worked at a shop in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, though, which is like a college town. So, um, yeah. you know, and actually the store now is kind of downhill. But because um, the guy that was ordering the comics for the longest time, it was a guy named Jason. He was doing it for like 10 years. It was really good about ordering. And now I don't know who they have ordering, but it's awful. But um, no, uh, the the worst thing that I ever had to do was we actually like bought and sold a lot of I mean, any comic shop does a lot of like, you know, collections from people. But in Kentucky, you've got a lot of people that are, you know. I mean, for lack of a better word, you'd have like crackheads come in, you know, um, there's a lot of meth that goes around Kentucky and they would go to like the flea market and buy like these dusty, like valiant number one issues and oh, think yeah, they were yeah. worth like a lot of money. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And they bring them in and you're like, uh, dude, I can give you $5 for four, these 40 comics. And they just have like meltdowns being like, oh, well, yeah, they're yeah. worth way more than this. And that was really the only horror stories is like having to tell somebody that, you know, their books really weren't worth anything. And in the nineties, Marvel was printing a million copies of a book. So even though you have 19 number one copies of Spider-Man by Todd McFarlane, 
you're not going to get much for them. And we're only going to buy two of them at most. Yeah. And also the fact that you have 19 is yeah, like the perfect like, example of why it's worth yeah, nothing. Yeah, it's like. Right. It might be pointing to the main problem. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that 10 years ago you thought this was going to be your retirement plan. But me that's having so to tell sad. you, you know, that uh. that's not the case. But most of the time it's just people that like, oh, I found these in a garage and they just think that because they're from the 70s or the 80s that they're worth something. Um, yeah. So just having to get into arguments with customers and them thinking, you know, well, I'll sell them online. It's like, please have at it. <laughs> you know, you're going to get less oh, than what I would give you. <laughs> my yeah. favorite thing in the world is when people are like, well, I looked it up on eBay and it said it's worth two grand. And I'm like, no, some idiot on eBay is asking for two grand. He's not going to get it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's that's pretty much in any collecting sphere is like, uh-huh. well, yeah. I saw it listed. He's like, did you look at the sold listings? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Also, like, oh my gosh, condition. People do not understand the concept of condition, and that drives yeah. me crazy. I have to give you, like, a rundown of the grading scale every time people bring comics in, because I'm like, here's the thing. If you want to look up on eBay, that's fine, but, like, something that's a two is a lot different than something that's a nine. Like, that's could be, right. like, literally a difference of, like, a thousand dollars. Well, yeah. and then also, you've got the point where they're like, well, I looked it up on eBay, and it's worth a hundred dollars, and it's like, well, if it's worth a hundred dollars, I have to sell it for a hundred dollars, so I can't give you right. A hundred dollars oh, for yeah. it because people have a really hard time money. understanding that yeah. I'm not going to give them what I'm going to sell it for. You're not going to give them full right. retail, right? Yeah. yeah, that's not how a business works. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, I see that a lot because I collect uh, uh, toys, and I mean that's something that you see a lot of is people being really confused when you bring in a figure that's worth like I don't know, like forty bucks, and they can only get like twenty for it at a store. Right, that's right. That's high, I feel like, even. Yeah, I feel like you're, you <laughs> no, get, like, I mean, you though. know, 25% yeah. of its value would be, like, a good thing from a store. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, but anyway, Cam, do you have any uh, kind of closing statements about this? No, I have nothing, but, you know, thanks for doing the show, and, uh, yeah, it was it was fun. I was glad because this was a really positive episode, and, uh, you know, reassuring <laughs> about the comic industry, and... Uh, oh, well, good. Yeah, I hope I wasn't, like, too cheesy. Sometimes I get, like, no, really... No. Really no, sappy anything, about we, we need that to balance me. me. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, I'm you know I'm I'm the same way. You know, I, I love going to the comic store, and you know, I love comics still. Still, you know, um, yeah. I'll buy dumb shit. Like you know, I'll buy Shazam number one just to see what it is, and if I like it, I'll continue. But you know, I'm not gonna continue a lot of that stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I totally yeah. love I mean, it. Still, the only times that I ever get super kind of like that is when we start talking about the connections that we make with either the readers or with other comic creators mm-hmm. and makers and like that's really the only thing that makes this whole thing kind of worthwhile besides the creating aspect right, right. Because oh, it's totally we're, yeah because we're definitely not in it for the money i think that's something we've established oh, yeah. pretty well mm-hmm. i don't think um, anyone is honestly like, no, publishers included like i don't think anyone yeah, it's is. a labor of love <laughs> yeah 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 uh well Anyway, um, so again, Katrina, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And, yeah, uh, thanks really, so much, really guys. Awesome. This was really fun. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? Hopefully we'll have you back on um, just to kind of shoot the shit and maybe have Dylan on, too. Okay, cool. Um, and I think that would be a nice time. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, that, that about does it. Um, if you want to plug anything, if it's your chop or if it's something that you're interested in or something you think our listeners should check out, uh, please do share. Um... Uh, no, screw it. I'm not gonna say anything else. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's it. That's the end. We want to thank Katrina again for her time. 
and it was a real pleasure to talk to her and get her insight and uh, very knowledgeable input about her experiences working in retail. Yeah, and we will be back soon with another episode. Uh, you know, stay gutter as always. Uh, you can catch us coming up soon. It's mid-April, so in about a month. We're about a month out from Chicago Zinefest. Uh, you can catch the gutter gang. Me, JB, Drug Dogs, Dylan, uh, Blake Sims, and Patrick Ian Rooks. I don't even know what table we're at, but we'll be there for all your indie comic needs. If you want, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Mort Crimp Jr. on both of those, and Cam is Cam Del Rosario. And uh, as always, thank you to Buster Moody for the music. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Buster. Thank you. Yeah, man, I don't know. That's all I got to say about that, I guess. Got, got her gang for life.